Hey, good morning. I love you, and I feel very close to you because I believe that God is going to do something pretty significant uh, here today, and I feel moved to God just to do this um, as well, so I'm going to do it. All right? This young lady right here, Jessica, would you come on, stand with me? This is my friend and my sister, and she has a wonderful testimony um, of coming back to the Lord and following Christ. She loves coming to this church, and she loves hearing great preaching, right? Yeah, but she has a major surgery coming up to cure something that she has dealt with her whole life. And uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to stop. We're going to pray for it because that's what we ought to do as the body of Christ. Now, what I just did was two things. Number one is I told you that this is, who is this? Okay. Well, I did three things. I embarrassed her, okay, but I reminded you of who she is and that she should be in your prayers this week and next as she heads toward this surgery. I'm going to pray. Paul, you want to pray? You pray, Paul. Come on. <laughs> Come on. This, he's, he is her uncle, so Paul can pray. Father, we pray for Jesse right now that as she gets ready for surgery, Father, we pray that you calm her heart and soul. Father, that all things will be done for your glory and honor. We pray for the physicians. Give them wisdom as they uh, uh, do the surgery and uh, that everything will go well. We thank and praise you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for submitting to that. All right. Like she had a choice. <clears throat> um, hey, also look up at the screen. I really want to get to the message. So look up at the screen. There's this one other set of announcements. Um, hey, look, maybe God is bringing you to new consecration in the book of Acts. I've had a couple people say to me, I'm so glad we're in the book of Acts and we're looking at the power of God working through people. I'm so glad in what God is teaching us through this book. You heard from Ken last week, and Ken followed up with me this week, and we talked, and, and he said, you know, I just, I just, let's keep going, Pastor Clint. Let's keep going with the spirit of openness and welcoming the work of God in our lives. And so here's another place where you can welcome the work of God in your life. You can, for two consecutive Sundays, invite anybody that you like to church for special events. Now, you can always invite somebody to church. Now, um, we don't want to just bring somebody to church. We really want to bring someone to Jesus is what we want to do. And I remind you that there is not a single verse in Scripture that calls you to invite someone to church. There are plenty of verses in Scripture that call you out to your community, that call you to follow Christ into your community and to share Christ with those 90% of the people that need Jesus are not going to the church to find him. The church will go to them. I'm grateful if today you're here this morning, you need Jesus, I'm going to give you a healthy dose of Jesus this morning. The, the Lord is. All right? But many don't. I'm getting a little ring. You feeling that, Marty? I'm getting a little ring. Um, but many uh, need you to go to them. These two events, First Noel, last year we had so many guests at that event. What a warm environment and event. What a warm way to invite people back to church. And then December the 16th, the annual Christmas brunch also. That's for our whole community. All right? Now, here's another reason why I want you. You can just tone me down and I'll shout louder. Here's another reason why I want you to come tonight to the Children of the World concert. It is the most awesome children's concert of the year in Zealand. All right? It is awesome. If you haven't been, you must come. But the other reason is I want you to meet my neighbors. I've invited four sets of neighbors to this tonight, and they're kids, all right? And I want them to have a wildly fun and encouraging time, but I want you to meet my neighbors because I'm working with them and inviting their children to children's ministry um, as well. So come tonight and meet Clint's neighbors and go, gosh, how is he as a neighbor, you know? And uh, ask him questions like that. Turn to Acts chapter Four. Well, really Acts chapter 3, but we'll, we'll get to Acts chapter 4 uh, here in just a moment. Now, here's what we're going to do. I, I've told you that in some of the things that God has been doing in my life that I've really begun to understand the importance of walking in the Spirit's power. So I want you to hear what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says about how the preacher should approach the pulpit and how the Spirit ought to be invited to work through all of the people of God. Are you willing to receive the Word of God here this morning? Amen. You are. Good. That's a great amen. There's some other amens coming, all right? All right? Maybe a couple of hallelujahs from your soul, all right? But if you're willing to do that, then pray with me that God gives us, His church, His Spirit this morning. Begin. The communion table's in front of you, reminding you that you are about 
to be reminded that you were a child of God that was fought for, that was died for. Okay, so be willing to then submit to God here and now, right now, and, and welcome the power of God and the replenishing work of God's Spirit. He didn't just come to die to take away sin, but to fill you with himself. And so here's what Spurgeon says. Let the preacher always confess before he preaches that he relies upon the Holy Spirit. Father, I need you, and I need your Spirit. Let him burn his manuscript and depend upon the Holy Spirit. If you have ever seen a manuscript from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you'll, you understand the irony of that statement, okay? They read like books. If the Spirit does not come to help him, let him be still and let the people go home and pray that the Spirit will help him next Sunday. And best of all, if you would have the Holy Spirit, let us meet together earnestly to pray for the Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit will not come to us as a church unless we seek him. For this thing will I be inquired by the house of Israel to do it for them, says the Lord. Prove me now here, saith the Lord of hosts, and see if I do not pour out a blessing so that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Let us meet and let us pray. And if God doth not hear us, it will be the first time he has ever broken his promise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your spirit. The spirit to hear your word, to receive your word, to receive all truth and to be affected by that truth. We know that your spirit can meet us where we are. We don't need to go to a place. We know that your spirit comes to us. We know that your presence and your power comes to us and meets us exactly where we are because there is no place in us in which Jesus has not vacated and made available to the presence and power of your spirit. And we ask now for that spirit of power and we pray in Jesus' name. So what we're going to be looking at this morning is going from the opportunity to share the powerful name of Jesus with an invalid, with a crippled individual, to now facing the opposition to the power that is in Jesus' name. And we're going to come to the recognition here this morning that we do not just have power to be delivered from sin. We don't just have power even in the miraculous working of Jesus and another individual, but we have power to faithfully obey God through whatever opposition to the gospel comes in our lives. That's what we have. One Sunday before I was to be married, so just six days before I was to be married, I parked my little Honda car in the church parking lot and I made a fatal mistake. I left the doors unlocked. And after a faithful day of ministering to Sunday school classes and going to a church service, uh, excuse me, two church services and one Sunday school class, I walked out to my car and my Honda was filled all the way up to the windows with green styrofoam peanuts. And I stopped there and I, I looked in and I said, wow, someone is watching me right now. So I turned a quarter turn and there were three of the youth workers from the junior high ministry standing on the sidewalk and just waving. And so uh, I had a lot of decisions to make. Um, the unexpected had struck me, a hardship came, and I gotta tell you, probably the same thing that you might be feeling at that very same moment. Instead of thinking, ha ha, this is very funny, instead of thinking, oh, they really love me, what wonderful people work alongside me in ministry, I thought, what is better than even green styrofoam peanuts? You know, like, uh, you know, 400 gallons of corn syrup, or, uh, uh, you know, petroleum jelly all over. I mean, the immediate thought was vengeance. You take it here, I want to take it here. And that's the reaction that we have sometimes when things are not going our way. When someone throws off our plan and our system and brings an abrupt halt 
to our happiness, a roadblock to our plans, a threat to our security, and we react, you and I, we react. And sometimes we're not very, very proud or pleased of the way that we react in our flesh, and if we continue down that road of the flesh, we convince ourselves of things in our flesh. We lie to ourselves in our flesh. We go down a dangerous road. How did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Where was God when this was happening to me? Is God really as powerful and potent as he says he is? How do I get around this? How do I blow through this? Where's the exit ramp? How do I get off? When we're going to find out here this morning in Acts chapter 4 that God has prepared us for a path of victory all the way to his kingdom's reign, all the way to Christ's return, all the way to our deaths, God has prepared us for a path of victory, and we are to walk by faith in the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, we need not have someone tell us what to do this morning. We know what to do. Ray Steadman, in his, in his uh, commentary on this passage, he says this, most of us know better than we are doing. In fact, Mark Twain once said, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. I'm not doing half of what I already know I'm supposed to do. And that's exactly the truth, isn't it? That we need the one who will change us, that will give us new inspiration and new motivation, the one who will make us want to do what we ought to do and be pleased to do it even as it's hard, difficult to do, the one who can make us over, that can give us a new heart, that can give us a new outlook and a new perspective, a new ability, a new capacity, a new life. This is what Jesus of Nazareth did again and again and again in his public ministry. But then he sent his witnesses out, his marti, out into the world. And he did it again and again and again through them. You come this morning to this passage with emotion. You come this morning with tension in your own life. You come this morning with a little bit of defeat, a little bit of a spirit of quit, a definite acknowledgement of hardship. You wish life were easier. You wish it were not so hard. You come maybe a little bit with a love of sin. You come maybe a little bit this morning with a, with a defeat in your heart. And yet the scripture is going to prove to us today that there is power in Christ's name, not only to deliver us, but power in Christ's name to face opposition to the gospel and to find resolve as God's witnesses. As God's witnesses. The story turns to the gospel's power to create a people that will advance powerfully with God, to create a people that will walk victor victoriously with God, testifying to Jesus Christ as the Spirit of God uses them to testify. So we return back to the main theme of the entire book of Acts that we emphasized months ago in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the theme of the second book of Luke, the first book being the Gospel of Luke, the second book being the post-resurrection and post-ascension of Christ early church period in which Jesus had already told them one time before in Luke chapter 24, verse 29, stay back because power will come upon you. Remain in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, stay here until my spirit has come upon you in power. The theme of the book of Acts is, is that God will make witnesses. Do you see that? You will be my witnesses. Not you can be. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Here's the gospel truth that we can take right now at the very beginning as we enter into scripture. It's this, is that God will do what he says he will do in, uh, in us if we are willing for him to do it. He will do what he says he will do in us if we are willing for him to do us. He will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. He has that power and he has that plan for us. Jesus' earthly ministry was marked by the Spirit's power as well. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 in a synagogue 
uh, and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to heal all of the afflicted, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, the scripture says that Jesus began his ministry in Galilee in the Spirit's power. The scripture emphasizes that we are to be witnesses filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament shows us who the Spirit is. The Spirit is God's presence. The Spirit is God's power. The Spirit is God's life and vitality. And now that Spirit is a personal accompaniment. Now that Spirit indwells. Now that Spirit empowers from the insides. And so what we're going to see is a contrast from chapter 3 where there was great power on the outsides in a miraculous event that changed a man's life forever and transformed the way that people heard and understood the gospel through that external impression of power, that external demonstration of power. But this morning we're going to see an internal demonstration of power. We're going to see the power of God on the insides to be filled with the Spirit, to obey God through a trial, and to keep the message abundantly clear. We're going to see the power of God working through Peter and John and working for Peter and John as well. So the power of gospel was proclaimed through a new life in Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. The people said, isn't this the man who? Here's the thing is, if you have experienced the gospel once, you have to decide. You got to decide. If you've experienced the gospel once, it's time to decide. And these people said, isn't this the man who? They could no longer look at him the same way. They could not, no longer look at what Peter and John did the same way. And they could no longer look at the message the same way. But let me help you out a little bit here. God made the mess. God sovereignly, providentially, he knew and he planned for this very mess that is created transitioning from chapter 3 to chapter 4. It says in verse 6, But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. A game changer occurs there in chapter 3. The people know this is the guy. That for 40 years, whatever our religious system was and whatever it offered for this individual, all it offered was a handout, not a hand up, not a permanent change, no alteration to his person whatsoever, maybe enough alms to get by. And now everything has changed. This happened because through the lordship of Jesus Christ, Peter and John, through the Spirit of God, came under the leadership of Jesus Christ, and they expressed the power of Jesus to heal. It says they just saw him, and he looked at them. I was looking at all of these different videos that I was hoping to show to you, and none of them really do justice, did justice to the passage. But I really like this one video that as Peter and John were approaching the temple, everyone else is kind of very focused and walking straight toward the temple for prayer. There are people coming from all different kinds of directions, and yet from 30 or 40 yards away, Peter and John have their eyes on that one man as they're walking up the steps toward the beautiful gate. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, they fell under the leadership of Christ, and they were led by God's Spirit directly to this man to be used by Jesus Christ to deliver this man. So then what comes next comes because God made it happen, and God knew it was coming. God is just as sovereign at the beginning of chapter 4 as he was at the beginning of chapter 3 even though opposition is on the way. Isn't one of our first reactions to hardship and pain to ask, where is God? Suffering or threats 
They attack our confidence in the Almighty, and they then begin to attack our confidence in ourselves. And yet God is just as powerful and sovereign going into chapter 4 as we saw him to be in chapter 3. And so what we're going to see here is the power of Jesus' name, not on the outsides, but on the insides. Now, and you come this morning and you say, that's really, that's really where I am, Clint. That's, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm needing power on the insides. I'm living in some turmoil. I'm living in some depression. I'm living in some doubt. I'm living in some anxiety. If, you just, if we just you know, kind of just scripted out my thoughts each day, minutes, maybe hours of my time are spent worrying doubting, living in unbelief, saying, where is my help going to come from? Listen, I want you to know this morning that I have been there. I've walked in doubt before. I've walked in discouragement before. I've walked with a trembling spirit going, God, I just don't know if you can use me today. I just don't know if I'm ready for what it is that you have for me today. I've had a spirit of quit. I've had a spirit of retreat. The next opposition that comes, God, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And yet I come to you here this morning telling you this, that that God tells us in his word, shows us in, in this word through the power of his Holy Spirit, that he enables us on our insides to obey him under his lordship and follow his leadership all the way to the very end of the age. You can obey Jesus all the way until... He either returns or receives you to himself. You can do that. But God's got to convince you of the thrill of pleasing him and getting on his plan here this morning. You see, there was this man. He was sitting out in the church parking lot, and his wife was just finishing putting on her makeup and putting it back in her purse. And and she said, come on, let's go. And he goes, look, I'm not going into church today. I'm just not doing it. And she says, what are you talking about? And he goes, look, it's full of hypocrites. Okay, it's full of people that pretend sometimes and fake their way through faith. It's full of people that sometimes don't even give you the time of day. He goes, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I'm just not going. And he says, you give me one good reason why I ought to walk into that building today. She says, because you're the pastor. Now get over it, cry baby. <laughs> I want you to know that my wife has never said that to me in the car. (laughs) We've all been discouraged. We've all had a spirit of defeat. We've all had letdowns. We've all said, God, where are you? And it's okay. It's okay. Because there's power in Jesus' name to strengthen us on our insides and to fill us on our insides. Let's look at chapter 4. And then I'm going to ask you to stand and finish the reading with me through verses 8 through 12 here in a moment. Verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Okay? It was quick. It was... Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Back then, they they counted men, so it was probably somewhere in the teens, 15,000 total people. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, meaning that Those Sadducees had built up a bigger posse with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. family. As big a whammy as they can bring, as big a hammer as they can possibly organize in 24 hours. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Let's all stand and finish reading the Word of God as one body this morning. Then Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And I love this next verse. Are you ready? You ready? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. So I've already told you, we're going to just say, say three things as we head toward consecrating ourselves again to the truth of God's word and to our Messiah Jesus who came and fought for us and for our sins and bled and died for us in this communion table. Three things. Peter and John faced their opposition filled with the Spirit. Peter and John came under the lordship of Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God was filling them, and because of that, they came under the leadership of Jesus Christ, and they were able to obey God through that trial. And thirdly, Peter and John kept the message abundantly clear because of that. Because their motives were pure, because their obedience was clear, their mouths also even kept the message abundantly clear. You see, here's what's going on. The Sadducees were acting like they, want, they had something to lose. Control over the temple. The first miracle that you see is this lame man that has been healed, right? Someone who was helpless and hopeless. He has absolutely no power over Peter and John. He is such a third-class citizen, he doesn't even look up at the people that he's asking for alms. He doesn't even look at them because to look at them would be an exchange of identity and equality. He can't even do that. This person has zero power. All he can do is beg the sympathies of those who want to be good religious people as they're going to the temple to pray. He's powerless. And then boom, chapter 4, the most powerful people, the guardians of the temple, the Sadducees, the ones who have the most power to control the scene and the situation. It's a complete contrast in powers. Powerlessness and the greatest power that man can wield in that very space. And these Sadducees are acting like they have something to lose. They had to control the religious practice of the entire city. What would the Romans think if they heard about what was going on? More importantly, what would the people think of them after recognizing that power is only in the name of Jesus? Could I ask the first question of the day? Here it comes. Are you operating from the standpoint that you have something to lose? What a defeated lifestyle. What, what a pointless existence to try to keep what I've got, to try to protect what I have. Are you operating from the standpoint, I have something to lose? There were all of these religious leaders, and hey, let's, let's identify with them, right? They had all of the power. If there was anyone who had some type of security in their environment, it had to be them. They had all the power, and yet they are so insecure, they're acting like they have something to lose. They appear to have all the power, and yet the gospel is going to show us this morning that they're absolutely powerless. Here are two men that have no credentials. They have no relatives on the Sanhedrin whatsoever. They are simple men from a simple fishing town, but they are operating from what they have gained. These two men. They're not operating from the standpoint that they have something to lose. They're operating from what they have gained. The life of Jesus is now inside Peter and John. Peter is not just offering power, but he has power to live for Jesus Christ in all situations. You say, I want that. That's the power that I want. We'll see that it comes from their being filled with the Spirit. The mark of the Messianic age is the Spirit's power. When Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, before that he said, you'll be filled with the Spirit's 
power. Power through the supernatural accompaniment and working of the Spirit. The mandate of the Messianic age is this. You will be my witnesses because you have my power. Two followers of Jesus, just two followers of Jesus. We see 2,000 men impacted because of two followers of Jesus doing what Jesus did, performing miracles, performing healings, and displaying the unmistakable power of God. Ray Sedman says this, and this is what the Holy Spirit does when it comes to the human heart. His business is to take the risen Lord's life and to give it to you so that you and I, we live by the resurrection power of Jesus to empower you, to encourage you, to strengthen you to do whatever he wills for you to cope with all of life. So God does give us what we need to deal with our enemies. In opposition, though, when we're facing opposition, we really do find out who we are. Our belief is really tested. Our faith is very much challenged. And Ken Spaulding shared that with you last week of how his faith had been challenged over and over and over by hardship and hardship and hardship. And where did he finish? He finished with this. I trust Jesus and God is good. I trust Jesus and God is good. When I was confronted by the, by the, the, the mean, wicked, evil, green, styrofoam, peanut Sadducees standing on the walkway, I thought, I just want to get even. And I recalled to mind what my friend Jackie Spaulding said to me while I was playing cards with her. She said, Pastor Clint, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay? I heard the Holy Spirit say, you want to do it, but don't do it. Don't do it. There are other things in your life right now that God wants you to give over to the Holy Spirit's control and power. There are, right now. And we really need to recognize the power that we have working on our insides. Yes, we agree with the gospel. There is hardly a person here that would disagree that we have been delivered from death and sin. You wouldn't be here worshiping. But we still have the everyday struggle with how we see, with how we feel, with how we react. We can have a very troubled insides. The story is pretty emotionless. Isn't that wild about this story? The story doesn't give us any emotion. It doesn't say Peter was nervous, John was nervous. When we go to the Christmas story and we start talking about uh, these four different characters that are righteous yet afraid. The Christmas narrative is filled with fear. There's fear not, fear not, fear not. And they were filled with fear. They were struck with fear. Fear filled them. They were fearful, fearful. And here in this passage, there's no hint of any emotion that's going on with Peter and John. It wasn't that they didn't have emotion. It's that the scripture is emphasizing that the spirit of God is large and is in charge. And he overrides any emotion that could have come as a contrast to what is going on. So we bring our own tension to the text. We bring our own emotion to the text. We don't need any emotion from the text. We know how we would feel in that situation. We'd be scared. We'd be nervous. We'd be worrisome. Sitting overnight in some type of incarceration. We'd be spinning and spinning and spinning in our heads. How do I get out of this? How do I fix this? Surely at that moment they felt... A lot of things, but the scripture emphasizes the incomparable power of God's Spirit instead. But Peter and John filled with the Spirit. We bring emotion to this moment, don't we? We bring our fears and we bring our doubts and we bring our anxieties and our depression, our spirit of quit and our apathy and our sense of being owed and being shortchanged and being forgotten by God, don't we? Come on, let's be honest before God here this morning. We came, all of us here, not believing God for something, struggling with God about something, still not perfected in our faith about everything. And we see here that God not only cares, God dominates. The answer is yes. The answer is not to turn from Him, but to turn to Him, to avail myself of God's power and His truth. What are you doing with your negative emotions? You say, look, 
you don't feel the way I feel. You, you don't know what's going on on my insides. No, I don't. No, I don't. In fact, I would be a terrible handler of that. I would be horrible at taking care of your insides. Which is why Jesus assigned his spirit to us. It's why God wants to be the handler of your insights. What are you doing with your negative emotions? You say, look, I have prayed. I have begged God. I have. Right. Sometimes I just wish that we could just crucify the whole flesh and be done with it, right? Really, what, the truth of what God is doing is God's not trying to reform us. Uh, Bonhoeffer says he's trying to kill us trying to kill all that flesh on our insides that keeps lying to us again and again. You say, look, I've prayed, I've asked. Keep praying, keep asking, keep availing yourself to the power of God. Don't run, don't turn, don't escape, don't walk out. The Spirit of God gave Peter and John such a resolve and a confident identity that they were able to walk in the victory of Jesus. Pray. And keep praying. Ask others to pray with you and for you. Bring the church around you. Insert yourself in other people's lives and say, hey, look, this is real. This is where I'm looking for the power of God to be working in my life. And let's all face the opposition together. Let's face it together, church. Let's remove all of the stigmas that our flesh is convincing us that we need to hide. From the power of God? Come on. Let's give them up here today. Let's be open and honest with God. Let's welcome the work of God. Let's believe that this message is for me here this morning. It means they found through the Spirit the ability to obey Christ's leadership of their lives. Even though it wasn't fun, even though it wasn't easy, it was hard and it felt really weird and it really made their flesh just go, come on, come on, let's do something. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, they followed the leadership of Jesus Christ, and they obeyed him through that. No matter the outside force, the inside force of the Lord Jesus Christ reigned in them through the filling of the Spirit. Second of all, Peter and John obeyed Christ's leadership through the trial. In college, I had to take a stand with my fraternity brothers over the distribution of alcohol to underage freshmen, and the result um, of that was um, they're using their power to silence me and to have me debrotherized. And so I'm kind, I'm kind of famous. I'm kind of famous for the summer of 1991. Yeah, I was famous even before I got here. Um, I'm famous in the summer of 1991 for being the only brother from a certain fraternity. I don't need, mean to bring any embarrassment upon it at all. From a certain fraternity from their national office to receive a letter stating that my conduct of all the brothers in 242 different brotherhoods across this nation, that my conduct was unacceptable and that my relationship with the fraternity was forever severed. Listen, let's also accept something else. Second truth, there are losses that come with following Jesus. There are. Come on, let's accept them, church. Losses meaning hardships. Losses meaning that I will still stick with the thrill of obeying God over the comforts that this world can bring to me. There are losses, and we can't determine how much or how often those losses come at us. We can't. We don't decide that. God determines outcomes, but he calls us to obedience. They obeyed Christ's leadership through the trial. None of us would suggest that we're not convinced that Jesus is our Savior. I don't think that we'd say that. But as Christians, we sometimes struggle in our hearts and our minds to be converted over to a truth that we are always walking in the victory of Jesus. Always walking in the victory of Jesus. Continuing to represent him, come what may. Are you convinced, are we convinced that the path he has for us until he comes offers the same victory that we know he's given us over sin? Where does the power of the resurrection speak to us now? That's the question. By what power and by what name? By Jesus' name and by the power of the resurrection is what they will assert. Peter and John were filled with the Spirit, and because they were filled with the Spirit, they fell under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and under the lordship of Jesus Christ, they walked in the leadership of Jesus. 
They did what Jesus wanted. They wanted what Jesus wanted, and they did what Jesus wanted. And what Jesus wants is enough for you and me. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things. What Jesus wants is enough for you and me. And where do we see Christ's leadership in this very moment? Well, first of all, they respected their accusers. They didn't escalate like we're watching on practically every commercial that's coming on the television set right now for the elections. They didn't turn around and accuse harshly back. They didn't throw fire, I'm excuse, throw fuel onto the fire. They respected it and said, look, what, what, what's your... What's your what you're accusing us of, you're going to have to blame that on Jesus and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because that's how that happened. They respected their accusers and they remained godly. Have you been remaining godly? You're going through something hard, you're going through something difficult. You're remaining godly in your marriage, remaining godly in your parenting. They remained godly. Godly, They pointed the blame to God and said, It's by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Obedience to Jesus causes people to see Jesus. You're like, doy. Obedience to Jesus causes people to see Jesus. And here's another critical question for us. We see Peter and John obeyed Jesus through that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They followed his leadership. What blessings are we missing because of our disobedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ? What sightings of the gospel are being missed because of our disobedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ? It's a challenging question, isn't it? And it's one to come and crucify right here at the Lord's communion table, isn't it? It's another one to confess and to call for that obedient spirit that God wants us to have. Ray Steadman said, look, God, the gospel overrules the powers of this world. Do we believe it? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it this way, under all circumstances, let the servant of God act boldly. Right? Not, not beyond obedience, but bold in obedience. Under all circumstances, let the servant of God act boldly. Is that, I mean, the world has its definition of boldness, and that's, you know, drawing a ton of attention to oneself by doing something that other people would not do. The gospel's definition of boldness is obeying God completely, even though there are a hundred different options. Boldness is confidence that God will use just my obedience and nothing more. That's the boldness of the servant of God. So they followed the leadership of God through this. And finally, Peter and John, they kept the message of the gospel abundantly clear. The message that was so threatening to these authorities, who regarded it as too radical to even tolerate, was nothing more than the proclamation of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. It came down to one brief sentence, verse 12. There is no other name by which you must be saved. The resurrection changes everything. It brings hope. It brings life everlasting. It so reverses fortunes that we do not have to chase after any fortunes in this world. It so gives us life that we can give our lives away. We do not have to keep searching for greener pastures. Our reward is in heaven. The resurrection changes anything. And for you, believer, for you, follower of Jesus Christ today, will you say, oh, Spirit of God, help me to believe and trust that today. Spirit of God, change what's going on in my insides and build that inner confidence and boldness back to my soul. Restore my soul's insecurities and doubts and fears and fill them with the truth that there is power in Jesus' name, not just to deliver people on their outsides, but to deliver me on my insides. Because Peter and John obeyed the power that is in Jesus' name was exalted that day. Now, Pastor Cameron's going to deal with it. just a great passage. Oh, he's going to have a great passage for you next week. And one of the things that you're going to find is, is that, hey, while Peter and John obeyed, it doesn't mean that they weren't a little bit singed 
It doesn't mean that they didn't need anybody to help them. They're going to go back to the church, and they're going to tell the church. And the church is going to pray with them. The church is going to come around them, and the Spirit of God is going to say, okay, church, hey, I'm not only showing that I can work powerfully through Peter and John, but I can work powerfully, power, powerfully through all of you. The question for us is this, is how will the power of Jesus be exalted in me? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you just one last story, and uh, Pastor uh, Jeremy um, can come up with his team to lead us in communion, and actually communion servants, if you'll come forward. You ready? You ready to go and meet with the conqueror Jesus this morning, the one who defeated death through his resurrection and is climbing out of the grave? Aren't you ready, church, to just thrust yourself in faith and love and devotion back to God here this morning? We're going to do that here in a moment. But you know that I, I love families with disabilities, and it's just an incredible privilege to, to minister to them. And every Sunday, I'm speaking to one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe families of disability in our congregation, and who knows how many on the podcast. If you're listening, I love you. But I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to exalt the name of a young lady who has never spoken. She's never said a word. And Tracy, she's never tasted a potato chip. She doesn't know what chocolate milk tastes like. Uh, she's known hot or cold on her skin, but she's never tasted anything. Think of your favorite food. Think of your favorite drink. Think of your favorite dessert. She's never, she's never known any of it. And she's 20 years old. 20 years old. Born with multiple disabilities. Her name is Marge Bexfield. And I got a call last week from her mom and dad. Her mom and dad had tried for six solid years to have children had multiple disappointments and discouragements. And so they put their name on uh, through an adoption agency to an adoption list. And the funny thing was is they live in Traveler's Rest near Greenville Hospital. And Greenville Hospital called them and said, look, we have a baby here. And they said, okay, we'll come right now. And they said, wait, wait a second. They said, wait, wait. Um, the mother doesn't want to have anything to do with the child. They said, okay, fine. They said, um, the child has is showing multiple issues and is on life support right now. And they said, okay, fine. Then they said, well, the child probably isn't going to reach her sixth birthday because of massive brain issues. And they said, okay, fine. And they said, are you certain you want to come and see this child? And they said, yes. So they went to Greenville Hospital and they saw Marge lying there, completely helpless. I mean helpless. And they said, we'll take her. They called me last week and they said, Pastor Clint, Marge is going to go to heaven soon. They've called in hospice. We've done everything that we can to steward this life. They even one time you know, shared that struggle that, it, that some families of disability have of just wishing that their daughter had just once spoken the name Jesus. And so I called down, and they let me pray over Marge. And I proclaimed the resurrection of the dead over her. I told Marge that she was going to rise out of the grave. And I told her that she would be able to speak the name of Jesus. She would be able to enjoy all of the good gifts of God very, very soon. There is power in Jesus' name. So I celebrate this girl. And I was with the Ifords um, and uh, the Vandertorns, Brooke Vandertorn and her daughter Alyssa, who had brain surgery this week. And I was at, um, it just happened to be Halloween day, and they were both at the children's hospital. And so they said, hey, go downstairs and watch these superheroes climb down the side of the, of the building, right? And so we went down there, and we watched them basically for 25 minutes just ease two inches down the building for 25 minutes sitting on these bench seats. And I heard somebody say, man, boy, it's got, it takes a lot, a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to do that. 
And I looked around at this child over here that, that's, that has cancer. I looked at Elena. I looked at Alyssa who just had brain surgery. I looked at tiny children that are being held in their parents' arms that they're, they're still in their, 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 their hospital tunics. And I said, you don't know what brave is. Come on. With the help of God, the power of his spirit, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we can be led by Jesus to face all the opposition around us. Would you this morning, approaching the Lord's communion, allow God to meet you on your insides? And allow God to speak to your insides. For the Holy Spirit, through God's resurrection power, to raise up what feels defeated, to re-inspire and re-encourage you, to meet you exactly where you are. Jesus is here for you. Right now. In the Lord's table, just to honor the table of the Lord. In the Lord's table, what we have is the remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us. The remembrance. What Jesus did was, is he came down to earth and he fought for you and me so much that he went without sin on this earth for over three decades and then gave his life as a ransom for you and me because the wrath of God required a perfect sacrifice for sin. And Jesus is the only one that could do that because he is God. And he offered himself up to his father in this way, perfectly obeying his father's will so that you and I could be saved, could be rescued, could be delivered by this power. And so that's what we remember. And the scripture tells us to not take this remembrance in any profane way, to really consider ourselves and to check ourselves. And I urge you to do that here this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to search your unbelief, to search your doubt, to search where you have sinned against God and to give that up to God confess that to God and make it right with God here this morning would you do that I'm going to pray and we'll just take that pause right now to come to the table correctly Father we come to this table through the blood of Jesus to remember the blood of Jesus we come through your son and his sacrifice thanking you for forgiveness of sin all around the room Heavenly Father forgive us of sin all around this room, forgive us of doubt and unbelief and fear. All around this room, Heavenly Father, rebuild our insides through the power of your Holy Spirit. All around this room, Heavenly Father, build us Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday of this week through the power of your Holy Spirit. Remind us through, through your Spirit the truth of your Word. Let everyone here this morning, even listening on the podcast, believe that they are well fought for individuals that we are people that Jesus died for. And let us celebrate that here and now. Let it be that today, every single individual worship gave their full devotion to you and received the full devotion of your Savior to them. <laughs>